And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday show. It's the second best day of the week, of course, for the Little Investment Show. Michael Leibwich joining me this, this morning as well. Excuse me. A um, couple of things to start out with. We have a trifecta at hand. And this is something that's getting people very excited, particularly the bulls in the market, right? So we had negative returns last year, right? So point number one. Point number two is, is that barely, just barely, Santa Claus did visit Wall Street and Ball, uh, Wall, Wall Street and Broad. So, or Broad and Wall, however you want to get it out there. So, we did have the Santa Claus rally, just barely, occurred on the last day. So, Santa Claus rally is the last five days of December, first two days of January, and we actually did get a rally in the first, uh, basically the second day of January. So. Um, you did technically get, again, just barely the Santa Claus rally. And now the first five days of January have now been positive as well. That has always, 100% of the time, pretended to positive returns for the entire year for the S&P in the following year. So you have, you have a bullish trifecta set up for the markets for positive returns this year. Now, this is very interesting when we talk about the fact that, you know, over the last 10 years or so, ever since the Fed became really active in the markets through QE and all these other type of things, the argument has been don't fight the Fed. Low you know, overpaying for valuations was okay because you had lots of liquidity. The Fed was doing, uh, you know, uh, bond buys. Um, you had zero interest rates, et cetera. So you had all these, these supportive elements for higher prices. And of course, the argument was don't fight the Fed, just buy stocks because they're going up. Very interestingly now, you've got the Fed hiking rates, you know, doing quantitative tightening, trying to tighten financial conditions to the best of their ability. It's not working. Financial conditions keep getting easier. In fact, we just posted a chart out on Twitter this morning showing falling financial conditions. So the, the interesting dynamic here is, is that now, the Fed is doing exactly the opposite of the things that should be supporting higher asset prices. And yet the argument is now by the bulls, fight the Fed. So there you go. Um, but you do have the trifecta statistically now for positive returns for the rest of this year, which would pretend to a soft landing scenario for the economy rather than a recession. We'll see what happens when we get there. Uh, but that's just what the statistics say right now. Um, this morning, of course, is the... Um, much, much anticipated CPI report out this morning. Estimates are a bit all over the board this morning, but um, looking to have about a 6.5% run in inflation today. So when we look at the year-over-year -year analysis of inflation CPI, uh, kind of the, the balance, the averages of estimates running at about 6.5 to 6.6, somewhere right around there. But it'll have a six handle on it. That's going to be an important thing. So we've gone from 9% inflation earlier this year down into the sixes. Now, why is this important, right? So as inflation comes down, the Federal Reserve is talking about we want to get inflation towards our 2% target. Monetary policy, them hiking rates has been predicated upon bringing that inflation rate down. Now, 
here is the key differentiator here bet between what markets are thinking versus what people are saying. People are saying the Fed's going to hike rates until interest rate uh, until the inflation rate gets to two percent. That is not what the Fed said. What the Fed said is we're going to hike rates to a level and keep them there until we see a persistent trend lower towards our target rate of 2% inflation. So what the Fed wants to see is a trending drop in inflation towards that 2% and not potentially a drop that then begins to reaccelerate. That's their big concern, is that at some point, inflation might start going back up again, uh, very similar to what happened in the late in the, the mid-70s. So today, what will be expected in, and how the markets are going to react, and again, markets rallied very nicely yesterday up above the 50-day moving average, heading up towards that 200-day moving average, that currently residing right around 39.70 on the S&P 500. So again, a little bit more room here today, but a very weak CPI report today could throw the market above that 200-day moving average. Now, don't get too excited here. We did that before, actually twice back in early December. Both of those failed. So We've been above the 200-day moving average before. It doesn't hold. Market keeps trending lower. But is this time going to be different? That's going to be the big question. But, but the important thing today about, the, um, about this report is that what they're going to be looking for, what the Fed's looking for, is this trend of inflation towards 2%. That's what the market's going to start trying to interpret and then start trying to build in a thesis for the Fed stopping hiking rates, that much vaunted pivot, right? So the, the pivot being not really dropping rates, but stopping hiking rates. That's going to be the real driver today. So if inflation comes in weaker than expected, and there's some analysis that suggests that is going to be the case, that we could see a very substantial pop in the markets this morning, uh, up above that 200-day moving average would not be surprising. Now, there is a difference. If we go back to these previous two uh, uh, moves where we went above the 200-day moving average back in early December, uh, we had a MACD sell signal in place from a fairly high level at that point. So the signal was saying that those pops weren't going to last. The difference this time is, is that we're going to have this move potentially above the 200-day on a buy signal. So again, that suggests that there may be more room to run, um, particularly in the month of January. Lots of flows coming into the markets this month. Uh, that this could help start pushing the markets up towards 4,100 to 4,200. So there is some decent upside potential here in the markets, depending on kind of what happens today. But let's get through today, see what happens here with the report, how the markets respond this morning. Futures are just kind of hanging out about flat. Dow's up about 38 points right now, uh, 39 points. So um, not a big anticipation this morning. Markets ran up yesterday about one uh, about 1.2 percent yesterday in anticipation of this inflation number this morning, expecting it to be a little bit weaker uh, this morning, a little bit flat here until we get to the open. So again, once that report comes out at 7:30, uh, we'll kind of see where things go from here. But again, there there's been a lot of bullish kind of setup here for the markets over the last couple of weeks. Again, we talked about the buy signal coming back in. That's been lifting asset prices. We've been slowly adding a little bit of exposure to portfolios. Nothing dramatic, just a little bit here and there. Um, building some trading positions right now uh, for potentially a, a, bit, a bit of a move higher. 
Um, doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet at all. We still have a lot of things to deal with this year. So, you know, we still have the Fed hiking rates right now. We And, and again, a pivot is not pausing. There is a difference. Um, the markets are expecting the Fed to start cutting rates. And I'll talk about this with Michael Leibowitz in a moment. Um, but the Fed, uh, the, the, the market's expecting the Fed to start cutting rates around June, July this year. Uh, what I'll talk with Mike about is why? Why will the Fed cut rates? And what would cause them to cut rates? And, and that's going to be the real question that we have, you know, because, you know, the Fed was behind the inflation curve on the way up. And the question is now, are they now behind the curve again with inflation coming down? That's going to be the big question. And of course, how the how the the Fed will respond to that is going to have a lot to do with the markets and, of course, economic uh, the economic environment as well. So, all that's coming up here. We'll talk about that in more much more in detail with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Kind of do a bull bear analysis of of kind of the markets, the Fed, and, and the outlook for the rest of this year. So, a lot of things are going on. Be sure you get by the website and get uh, signed up for our weekly newsletter as well as our daily market commentary. Most importantly, our before the bell which is our three minute market on money that we that we always do is now called Before the Bell. It has a separate YouTube channel. You need to make sure and subscribe there as well so you get notified uh, for that every day. Be right back after the break, don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you as worried about estate taxes as we are? Our first Lunch and Learn of the New Year will focus on family limited partnerships. This valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family. Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chris Masters, CPA with Doran Mayhew, Thursday, January 12th at noon, with the ins and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Advice. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, a couple of things, uh, just a little bit of house clean, uh, you know, kind of housekeeping here. Uh, every morning, we put out a daily commentary uh, on our website. It's emailed to you directly at 7:30, and we it's generally a, just about a two, three minute read. Covers our you know kind of our market outlook for the day, kind of you know support resistance levels, those type of things. Some interesting tidbits about markets, CPI, whatever. Um, make sure you subscribe to that on our website. It's a separate email list from our weekly newsletter. So, you know, you can have one, both, or all of them. So it's your choice. But if you want our daily commentary, again, uh, that goes out every morning. It's a separate email list. So if you want that, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, just uh, right there on the front page, it'll say our latest daily commentary. And there's a subscribe link right next to that, along with the newsletter. Of course, our latest blog post, videos, et cetera. Um, while you're also there, as I said, uh, just at the close, we're yes, we're still doing three minutes on markets and money. Getting a lot of emails over the last few days. You know, why aren't you doing three minutes on markets and money more? That's our three-minute little short market video we do every morning about kind of the outlook for the markets, et cetera, what's going on. Um, that is now called Before the Bell. It also has its own YouTube channel. So you can get the feed right off our, our front page of our website, and there's a subscribe link there also. Um, to subscribe to that channel. So again, uh, just make sure you subscribe to, you know, the channels that you want or don't want. We're separating things out so you can say, I don't like this, I want this, and you can just pick and choose. So um, 
so there you go. Anyway, so a little bit of housekeeping. Um, all right. So a couple other things uh, this morning, as I said, CPI out this morning. That's going to be the, you know, everybody's highly anticipating what that's going to be, what the market's going to do. Uh, the, the important thing here is, and as we've talked about before, is that, you know, the markets continue to fight the Fed, despite the fact that the Fed's been very clear that they're going to hike rates until they get inflation to come down towards their 2% target level, blah, blah, blah. Markets keep rallying up. And then, of course, Jay Powell has to come out, smack the markets down, uh, saying, no, no, we're, <laughs> we're going to keep hiking rates. And, and this is why we cling to one employment report to the next. Is there signs of disinflation in the wages? Is there a sign of, you know, weakening in employment? You know, uh, we take, you know, jump from one CPI report to the next. You know, it's, what is inflation saying? Because the whole game here is, is when is the Fed going to pivot, Right. And a pivot is different than a pause. A pause is simply they're going to stop hiking rates and then hang out there for a while at a higher rate. A pause, a pivot is actually cutting rates. And so that's, you know, those are two very different things. You know, so is the Fed going to stop reducing their balance sheet? Is the Fed going to start doing QE again? Um, are they going to start heading rates back to zero? That's the big debate. And that's what the market's been fighting over here for the last, you know, few months. They keep losing. Because, again, the Federal Reserve comes out, smacks them down, says, nope, we're not going to do that. Um, and then the market says, okay, well, maybe they weren't serious. So <laughs> we start running prices up again. Interestingly enough, markets have been running up over the last you know, last week or so. Um, markets have had a very nice start to the new year. And, again, as we, we said at the opening, you, know, you have a perfect trifecta here. You've got negative returns last year, a Santa Claus rally, first five days of January positive. Whenever you've had those three things in common – 100% of the time, you've had positive year returns for the markets. So there's a reason to be bullish. Um, but financial conditions continue to weaken. That's exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants, because, again, the Fed wants tighter financial conditions to keep inflation under control. That's that's the game. Anyway, let's uh, bring Michael Leibowitz into the show this morning, and we'll have a, a deeper conversation on all of this and uh, outlooks for markets, et cetera. Hi, Mike. Good morning. He's there. He's talking. Can there you go. hear me? Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. I think the debate is actually pretty simple. If you're bearish, you're betting on the Fed. If you're bullish, you're betting on what the market thinks the Fed will do. And right now, the Fed thinks they're going to raise rates to roughly five and a quarter. There's some debate within the Fed that that kind of what we'll call terminal rate goes from five percent all the way up to uh, over six percent. But but the large majority are kind of five and a quarter ish. Then you got the market, which does think the Fed will get rates up to five percent, but pivot, as you said, Lance, sometime later summer, July, August, and get them down about a half a percent by the end of the year. And it's in that gap of expectations that will drive the market. If the Fed comes to the market, if the Fed starts being a little more dovish. So if we get a, a low, a lower than expected CPI number today, and then over the next couple of weeks, over the next week, the market rallies and the Fed doesn't uh, try to put down the market. If they say that was great news, we're actually getting closer to where we need to be. Then that's the Fed kind of moving towards the uh, market expectations. Mm -hmm. Conversely, we get a number that's kind of what the market expects, or even a little higher, or even lower, but the Fed says that's great, but it's only one. We want to see many of these before we change direction. 
then the market has to price towards what the Fed is expecting. And that's what that's why these these I'm going to call it these silly reports, CPI and employment, which don't do a great job of capturing what's going on with prices. They I think they do capture the trend, but but we hang on to every tenth of a percent. And the accuracy within these reports is not close to a tenth of a percent. Um, so so the market gyrations are based on how market expectations change in relation to Fed expectations and how they're changing. Um, so, you know, we're just going to cling from CPI report to employment report. CPI is typically mid-month. Employment's the first Friday of every new month. So roughly every two weeks, we're going to have a market, you know, potentially high volatility event. And then you have the Fed meetings. The next Fed meeting is February 1st. Um, and then you have various speeches throughout. So so putting together all those kind of implied or expectations will can kind of help guide you and and understanding what the Fed is saying and are they making threats or are they being real? And I don't know if you caught it, Lance, but Neil Kashkari had a, uh, I'll actually put it in the commentary that'll come out tomorrow morning. Neil Kashkari had a very um, strong quote in an interview he did. He basically said the market's playing a game of chicken with the Fed. And that's kind of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They say, we don't care what the Fed's saying. They're gonna be pivoting and cutting rates by the end of the year. And you know, he goes on to say the market tends to be, or investors tend to be very optimistic and he's kind of warning. Now, are they using this kind of hawkish rhetoric to drive the market lower, um, to, to kind of fulfill their needs? And will they step away from that or not? So that kind of gives you a, a, uh, a mindset to think about today's CPI number, next uh, next month's employment number, the Fed meeting, and everything we hear out of the Fed. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there, and there's a couple of things with this, right? I mean, so, you know, we have to look at this from a, a couple of different perspectives. One is that maybe the market's right and the Fed's wrong. Um, and the reason I say that is, is because, you know, the Fed was in this idea that inflation was not going to be that much of a problem because of all the stimulus that was injected into the economy. It'd be very short-lived, and then it'd be right back down to 2%. be fine. Well, that obviously turned out not to be the case. Inflation went a lot higher than they expected, and it's been stickier longer than they expected. So if they were behind the curve on the way up, the question now what the market is saying is that they're wrong now and that inflation is going to come down a lot faster than the Fed says, and the Fed's now going to be caught on the wrong side of the curve again and having to start to cut rates aggressively um, to offset potentially a much deeper recession. By the way, that's not great for stocks, by the way, but you know the, the theory is that they're behind the curve again and that they're going to have to be playing catch up. And that's, that's you know, of course, that's going to mean a, re a reversion back to quantitative easing as well, which is what, you know, the markets have been banking on here for the last, you know, really few months, but importantly, ever since the beginning of the year. Yeah, Lance, I wrote an article a week ago called Three Pass for 2023, and it basically lays out what the Fed thinks, which we just talked about, what the market implies, which is that pivot and 50 lower. And then the third 
potential path, which is not only is the Fed behind the ball, but they're greatly behind the ball, that inflation is coming down rapidly, but so is economic activity. And in that case, the Fed could cut rates by two to three percent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're probably laughing two to three percent. No one thinks they're going to cut rates by two to three percent this year. But if you go back and look at every time the Fed was on a tightening campaign, and some of them were less than what they've done this time, they have cut rates almost as equally as equally as quickly, mm. equally quickly. Yeah, um, so they raised rates four percent, four and a quarter percent last year. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that they're not going to cut rates two, three or possibly even four yeah. percent this year? No one thought they were going to do it last year. A year in December of 2021, even the Fed thought they would raise rates by three quarters of a point. Sounds a lot like the market's estimate, you know, where they're mm-hmm. going to cut rates by 50 basis points. Right. Well, they ended up going four and change. So, you know, I, I think that the idea for this year from the investment point of view is kind of trying to understand which of those three paths is most likely. And your opinions will change along the way, but they all have three ramifications for stock at stocks and bonds and other asset markets. Yeah. And, uh, and then this is, you know, this is going to be part of, you know, the change in psychology as well. You know, one thing that, you know, and we'll talk about this after the break is, is that last year, you know, kind of what worked was the defensive sectors of the market. Value stocks worked well, um, you know, inflationary stocks, commodities, et cetera, worked very well last year. Energy stocks is a good example of that. Um, you know, that worked well last year. Um, investors are still betting on those same things happening again this year. But if we do get into a recessionary environment, slower slower inflation, a disinflationary to potentially a deflationary environment, those stocks are not going to perform well. And the question then becomes, what does perform well in that type of environment? And so where does that shift begin to occur? Um, markets haven't made that decision just yet, but um, you know that could be coming up sooner than we expect. We'll talk about that a little bit more right after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com are you as worried about estate taxes as we are our first lunch and learn of the new year will focus on family limited partnerships this valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family join richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest chris masters cpa with dora mayhew thursday january 12th at noon with the ends and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com health and financial security touches everyone within your organization Offering benefits for all doesn't need to be complicated. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, Senior Benefits Consultant at RIA Advisors. RIA Benefits provides independent expertise to find solutions that speak to the mission of your business, the culture you want to establish, and the budget you are able to work within. Book a free consultation with me at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement, and we'll find a solution that takes care of your most important asset, your people. realinvestmentadvice.com slash retirement, realinvestmentadvice.com. 
And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity. Diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. So my kids know that I do radio, but they don't listen to it right. or anything. This guy sees me in the airport. <laughs> so now my kids think, like, oh my gosh, my dad's really famous. Young. Famous, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. He's famous. The Real Investment Show podcast. So we get in the car and we find a Red Robin. It's packed. We've been there maybe five minutes. He comes over to me. He's like, come on, I got you. Put this in our private room at Red Robin. You, now, you know you've made it when you're an A-lister at, at the Red, Red Robin. Robin. Exactly. At realinvestmentadvice.com. <laughs> the Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning, 6.33 on this uh, Thursday, second best day of the week edition of the Real Investment Show. Michael Lee Woods joining me this morning. Talk a little bit about the Fed. CPI report out this morning. Um, if it comes in weaker than expected, markets are going to probably pop. As we were talking about before, the market keeps looking for any excuse here um, to get the Fed to stop hiking rates. And again, you know, one thing to, to consider, and, and I want to talk about, you know, kind of investment classes and, you know, kind of the outlook for the markets in this environment if the Fed, if, if the markets are right and the Fed is going to, you know, inflation's coming down and, and the Fed's going to stop hiking rates. But one thing to think about real quick is that, you know, right now there is a record number of, a near record number of articles talking about a soft landing scenario in the economy. That is in a, that is a, a environment where the economy does not go into a recession. It just slows down, doesn't go into a recession. Um, so, if we have a soft landing and inflation is coming down and the markets are doing well, why would the Fed cut rates? Right. I think I think this is the one thing the market is missing. Uh, the market's expecting the Fed to cut rates by June, um, you know, start cutting rates by 50 basis points. But why would they be cutting rates if everything is fine? If, if markets are rallying, right, you've got a bull market, uh, the economy's not, you know, laying one in the bed somewhere, um, you know, why Why would the Fed cut rates? So, you know, one thing the Fed would like to do, honestly, is get rates to 5% and just keep them there. That would be nirvana for the Fed because now they've got ammunition to cut rates whenever we have the next recession, right? So there's no reason for them to cut rates. And I do think this is a mistake the Fed's making. But um, Last year, of course, commodities did exceptionally well in an inflationary environment, exactly what you would expect. Energy stocks did well, et cetera. Um, you know, but this year, lots of articles out. Um, in fact, uh, headline this morning on Market Watch, why investors want to stay in last year's best performing assets. Well, that's energy and commodities, right? So 
But think about that for a moment, because if last year's best performing assets were based on inflation and now inflation is coming down, why would those assets continue to perform as well? And the, the question we need to start asking ourselves is, is if we are moving into a slower economic environment. So let's go with a soft landing scenario for a moment, Mike. And uh, let's let's not get into we'll get into recession here in a minute. Potential. But let's just say it is a soft landing. We don't go into a, 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 a recessionary environment. Inflation is coming down. And the Fed is maintaining rates at 5% or and potentially, potentially cutting rates a bit. Why would I want to own assets that are now not in the, right, the same environment that we had previously? And what assets should I be looking to transition to? Right. So, so looking back last year at commodities there's kind of two 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 big factors behind inflation one is the supply demand problem caused by the pandemic caused by the fiscal stimulus monetary stimulus and caused by the shutdowns that reduced uh, the supply of goods the transportation of goods storage of goods the whole nine yards that that and that was transitory it was related to all of those factors then there's what's called the price wage spiral and as workers get get raises, they can buy more, they buy more, they have more more demand and it, it pushes up inflation and then they demand higher raises and you get this spiraling effect. And that's likely one of the reasons that has inflation has stayed sticky and it's been sticky above what the Fed thought. The Fed was kind of of this transitory notion that once supply and demand normalized, which has largely happened already, inflation would come right back down to 2%. That hasn't happened. So there's other factors driving inflation. So, but the factors driving commodities is that massive supply and demand mismatch. If we are heading to Goldilocks, which again, Goldilocks is not a great scenario. <laughs> it's just not a bad scenario. Right. It's a slow economic growth scenario call it zero to two percent economic growth the demand for commodities is not going to be off the charts mm -hmm. it, the demand is gonna is gonna weaken um so <laughs> the case for commodities or commodity stocks is not nearly as good today as it was a year ago the question is then where do you go and when i think about that my first thought is growth or value how do you how do you kind of skew that bet if we are going into a weak economy and keep in mind that valuations are still high mm -hmm. despite falling 20 percent last year valuations are high so if earnings are going to come off and lance you wrote a great article on this a few weeks ago if earnings are going to come off and valuations are going to normalize it makes the case that those companies with higher valuations with earnings that are more volatile such as many growth companies mm -hmm potentially has more risk. So our current thinking, and again, you know, I've said this a few few times, you know, we have to be ready to audible, ready to be able to change on a dime because if anything, the markets have taught us the last three years is that crazy happens all the time. Um, so, so I think value will continue. Value had a very good year last year uh, versus the market. And I think that trend will continue. The hard part is what is value? Mm -hmm. And that's where we get into a passive investing versus active investing debate. Value is typically broadly defined by industry. 
energy, financials, staples, companies like Clorox, Procter Gamble, companies that just have long, steady earnings growth. Um, but but that doesn't make it value. That just means they're dependable, they're conservative, that, you know, whatever you want to call it. To be value, you have to be trading cheap. So your price to earnings, your price to sales, a, a whole number of valuation ratios should be low. So, so the question is, if passive investors kind of rule the day and everyone in their 401k says, you know what, I think I like what Mike's saying, I'm going to move my money from the net. I'm going to I have a 10 percent allocation to the Nasdaq in my 401k. I'm going to move it over to the uh, the large cap value fund. That seems to make sense. And it's only 10 percent. What difference will it make? Well, if everyone starts shifting from Nasdaq or even from the S&P to value, it's going to buy the, the largest value stocks, quote unquote, value stocks. So the Cloroxes, the Procter Gambles, those type of companies, McDonald's, we'll Coke. See yeah, McDonald's, Coke. We'll do. We'll see the high inflows. The problem is most of those companies we just mentioned are not value. They they may have nice dividends, they may have relatively steady earnings, but they're not value. So so the question is, will passive continue to rule the day? Uh, or will more active management, where you're seeking out companies that are trading at very low price to earnings, at very low valuation ratios, that still have the steady conservative growth, be the winners? And that has yet to be seen. So, you know, a lot of what we're doing is kind of combing through the larger cap value, higher dividend stocks, so that we can kind of get the best of both worlds, find value, but also find value in larger cap stocks that will that will potentially go with the flow, so to speak, that will follow those passive indices. Um, you know, again, we're going to audible this year many times. And if we're wrong and it is the active management, we are also tracking those companies that are trading at PEs. We there are companies trading with a PE of three or four price to sales below one cash flow yields in the double digits. I mean, that that is an incredible deal. But if no one's buying it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so so that's where our focus is initially this year. But again, as things change, and I think this could be a pretty volatile year as far as themes go. You know, the theme we have for the first quarter may not may be polar opposite from the theme we have in the third quarter. And so much of that depends on the economy, on those three paths we talked about on what the Fed's doing, on what the market thinks the Fed is doing. And I think one of the bigger ones are just, will investors continue to pump money into their funds? Or will they say, you know what, I lost 20% last year, I'm down another X percent this year, maybe I move to cash, maybe I reallocate towards value, maybe I move to bonds, I can make 4% there and do nothing. So that's kind of the way we're starting the year, but also thinking about the year ahead. Yeah, you know, and, and I think you have to also, you know, look, there's a lot of, of, of tech, you know, talking about, you know, technology companies, growth companies, you know, a lot of these companies have, have come down a lot in price. And so there's a lot of, you know, people that are obviously looking at companies like an Amazon, as an example, you know, price of sales of, you know, one, you know, less than two right now, you know, uh, you know, these valuations have come down tremendously on some of these companies. And, you know, the question becomes, uh, if you get into a disinflationary environment, 
you've got to start focusing on companies that also can grow earnings in a disinflationary, deflationary, slower economic growth environment. One of the problems that value stocks will have, you know, like a McDonald's or a Coke or some type of these things, is that if we get into a slower economic environment, not even talking about a recession yet, just a slower economic environment, you know, that's going to start impeding their sales. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, some of these growth companies that are out there that are, that are down 60, 70, 80 percent from their peaks. Um, you know, we've talked about Meta before. I hate the company, right? But you've got it. You know, but this company generates huge cash flow on top of you know a very broad you know profit margin. So, you know, at some point, you know, where does it become you know part of the portfolio to start looking at some of these companies that have long term have have you know long term kind of growth trajectories, uh, but are down significantly in price. We'll talk about that after the break with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you as worried about estate taxes as we are? Our first Lunch and Learn of the New Year will focus on family limited partnerships. This valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family. Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chris Masters, CPA with Doran Mayhew, Thursday, January 12th at noon, with the ins and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Leibowitz joined me talking a little bit about uh, the markets, et cetera. So, you know, the one thing we've kind of, you know, talked about here a bit is a slow growth environment. But what about a recessionary environment, right, where you get into an actual negative growth in, in the environment? Again, you know, the, the, the premise of the conversation here is, is, you know, everybody's still focused on what worked last year. And this is the normal psychological behavior of investors. It's like, oh, energy did great last year. I'm going to get in now. I'm going to buy energy stocks. But you've got to be a little careful with that because the environment now is about to become drastically different than it was last year. Um, and the reason is, is inflation is coming down. Uh, economic growth is slowing because that's what the Fed wants to have happen, right? That's why the Fed's hiking rates specifically to slow and to slow economic growth to bring down inflation. Um, and so the question becomes is, is where do you invest for that environment? And, you know, this is what we were talking about, you know, before. The problem with value is what is actually value? And when you take a look at companies like McDonald's trading at eight times price to sales, that's a tech stock valuation all day long. In fact, tech stocks actually trade cheaper than McDonald's now. 
So, you know, this is so let me, let me give you a, a, and, and Mike, this is a, an example. Right. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the company, but I'm just, you know, uh, going to give you these numbers. Uh, EPS in 2017 was 23 cents. It's now three thirty three dollars and thirty cents a share in earnings per share. Sales have gone from one hundred and seventy seven billion to four hundred and sixty nine billion over the last five years. Um, stock currently trades with a, a quick ratio of 0.7, has a price to sales of 1.87. Now, that is compared to McDonald's, as an example, which, as I said, trades at a PE of 8.23, has a quick ratio of 1.6, um, has basically barely grown sales. Sales in 2017 were $22 billion. They're $23 billion today. Um, over the last five years. So sales aren't growing. EPS are basically flat versus this other company. Why wouldn't I want to own the other company versus McDonald's in this type of environment going forward? And I'll tell you the name of the company in a moment. And, and I think that's the most important lesson. And, and it's drop the industry. So when we say value, we think staples, utilities, those type of safe companies. As you're thinking about value, just look at the numbers. Drop the name of the company. The, you know, just the numbers you went through, Lance. Mm -hmm. If you gave any value investor those numbers, they would jump on. I have a guess who it is, but I think they would jump on that second company. That's value, or certainly a lot more value than McDonald's, which is barely growing. Yet you're paying a massive valuation premium. For a company that's that's may not even grow as much as the economy. Yeah, and, and, and not even talk about a recession. Who do you think the company was, Mike? Meta. No, uh, Meta is very, very Meta is very similar to it. It was Amazon. Um, okay. But you know, but when we take a look at these companies, right? Coca Cola it has an exact same setup as McDonald's. Trades at a price to sales of six twenty one. No sales growth. No earnings growth. You've done analysis on Coke before. Um, you know, and, and we go through these companies that are traditionally considered these value companies, and they're not really growing sales or earnings all that fast. And if you get into a recessionary environment, then those companies' sales and there are then those companies are extremely dependent upon the consumer. You know, you're going to see a weakening of those sales, and that particularly goes into the commodity companies, where you know if you have weakening demand, weakening economic environment, you know that is going to translate to you know lower oil prices, which will ultimately translate into lower energy stock prices. So, you know, we've got to start thinking about where the if, if you're very bearish on the economy, you've got to start thinking about what does that mean for the stocks that you're investing in relative to that environment? And what does that mean about demand for sales? And then start thinking about what companies can actually grow earnings, even in a weaker economic environment. And you can go back in history and look where you know these companies we've had weaker economic environments how do these companies do in terms of growing earnings what's the trend of growth and earnings been you know those are the things you want to pay attention to yeah and here's the other thing that some companies like that maybe retail we're looking at williams sonoma right now and it certainly has some flaws and it's in an industry that should not in a business that should not do well during a recession but what if it's priced in already what if the stock has dropped so much? What if its valuations are so low that part that a recession for the next you know one to two years still makes it a value play, mm -hmm. still makes sense to buy it, even if their sales and earnings come down 20, 30 percent. So 
so so be careful too that they're stock you know the home builders are another example the environment is horrendous for home builders cancellations are up greater now than they were in 2008-9 for for new homes they're getting really hurt economically but when you're buying a home builder for instance you're buying cash flows for the next 20 years so if it's already if the market has already pushed it down to a price to valuations that are so low you can it is priced it is said to be priced for the event for a really bad recession if we have a bad recession it's priced for it so your cushion the amount of further downside is limited not to say there's there's not more downside there certainly can be more downside but it's much more limited in a company like that than a company like coke or mcdonald's that is not priced for a recession at all. That's priced for increasing sales, even though they haven't had increasing sales in years. <laughs> so, so, you know, when you think value, you have to think outside of the box. You have to understand what value is and what, even though it's va there's value traps too. Just because of value doesn't mean it's a good buy either. You know, when we look at Williams-Sonoma, we notice that their inventory is stacking up really quickly meaning that they're probably going to have some big sales and they're going to have to lose money on products in the future. So so go through companies and we do this all the time. And, um, and actually in Simplevisor, we do a article every Friday where we scan for different types of companies. We're starting a year off this year with value dividend companies. So uh, we're going to take a few different approaches to kind of cutting through and finding five stocks that meet our criteria. Some of them may be on valuation. Some of them may be on where its valuation is versus where it typically is. Uh, but we're going to present some stocks. And from that list, we're going to go through them and others and try to find those that are trading really cheap, that are priced for a recession or priced for at least you know very poor economic times and have upside. And then we still have to consider that whole active passive debate is the company big enough that if we do have passive flows to value it'll capture those and you know keep up with value stocks yeah and that's one of the big challenges and again you know this is you know you know you know etfs were a great invention um but there's a dark side to those etfs which is these money flows um you know into these etfs and again you know, we see lots of articles about you know, how, you know, mutual funds are losing assets and they're all moving in ETFs makes complete sense, right? Because I can buy an ETF, get basically the same performance as a closet index mutual funds and pay, you know, a third of the cost or whatever it is. Makes complete sense. The, the problem, though, has become is that those flows have gotten so large that, you know, the top 10 stocks of, you know, the major indexes are being supported by those flows again you take a look at apple it's in 400 you know i don't have the exact number but it's like 350 different etfs all own apple um and, and a lot of those etfs aren't even technology growth companies right or uh, growth etfs i mean you'll find apple in value etfs you'll find it in growth etfs you'll find it in mid-cap etfs you know <laughs> you find it everywhere um but it's the same thing with a lot of these companies and so again to your point you know part of the fight you fight is you know value may sound great as well, i bought this company that's super cheap right and fundamentally this thing is extremely cheap but it's not in any etf and so it gets none of those passive inflows so so basically it's it's like you're showing up to the the football stadium and you're the only person in the stadium and and right. that makes it really difficult for that price to go up if it's not being supported 
by those underlying cash flows. So, you know, that the passive problem is something that's making it much more challenging to be a traditional fundamental stock picker and something you have to evaluate in the process. Right. There's a company that I follow. It's somewhat not illiquid, but it's it's not in any major, not in probably any ETF. It basically a few weeks ago was trading at the amount of cash they had. So, you know, for instance, I think they had like $15 per share in cash and no debt. The stock was trading at almost $15 per share. That's an example. It, it doesn't matter how cheap it is. If no one's buying it because they're buying large because they're buying McDonald's and Coke because that's their idea of value, that company will languish and its stock may go nowhere and may even go further down, it may go below the value of the cash. In other words, you could buy that company, sell everything, take the cash and have a profit, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And that's why you got to kind of follow the markets and what they're telling you. And which type of value is doing well or is it growth is growth going to be the leader next year and will it be value growth like meta or just what we saw in the prior years just kind of um, things like arc very just massive growth massive future expected growth but no no numbers right. so you know it's not as easy as just finding companies that are basically trading that you basically get the cash for free it's finding companies that also go up and are doing what you expect them to do. Right. Um, real quick, two seconds, just to comment, uh, up or down the dollar this year? The dollar? Dollar, higher or lower? Higher. Higher. You've got bets going on all across the media. They're all betting on a 50% collapse in the dollar. So we'll... <laughs> I'll definitely take the over on that. <laughs> you and me both. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Be sure and get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you subscribe to our Before the Bell YouTube channel if you want the three-minute commentary that we put out every day. Uh, you'll be notified of that. Just simply subscribe to that channel at the website. Also, uh, our daily market commentary coming out at 730 uh, make sure you subscribe there as well. Again, all different email lists. So go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and uh, just pick the list you want to get subscribed to. Get signed up. We'll keep you up to date. All right. See you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso, and have a great week.